0: With the scent of potpourri Films we commit to memory Crossing the felt ropes Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to the Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, true, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer dot and more of our podcasts at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. Uh, you can also like us on social media at Facebook.com slash the Obsessive Viewer and on Twitter at ObsessiveViewer. Um you can also oh here we go. <laughs> I completely forgot to bring up my notes. Um Um, So and while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for tons and tons of bonus bonus audio content, including TV and book reviews, immediate reaction movie reviews, Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, and B-roll episodes that we record before each episode that we record for the main feed. Um, Again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm currently doing... Um, episode reaction recordings of The Last of Us, which I need to finish. And um, I have a bunch of stuff on there. Currently, I'm doing a very comprehensive uh, read-along review series for uh, The Expanse series by James S. A. Corey. Um, So that is each month, six episodes dissecting each book in The Expanse uh, a hundred pages at a time. It's a blast. I'm having a lot of fun doing that. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm your host, one of your hosts, Matt Hurt. And, uh, you can find me on social media, including letterboxd, at obsessive viewer. And today on the show, we're going to be doing an extended potpourri episode, which is basically, um, an episode where we just go back and forth about different movies and shows that we've watched, share our thoughts on it, and kind of just have a nice little conversation about it. And joining me today to do that is Mr. Tiny, who can be found on Letterboxd at Obsessive Tiny and uh, everywhere else as Obsessive Tiny and everything. Uh, Yeah. How's it going, Tiny? (laughs) Hey, pretty good, man. How you doing? Nice. Doing well. We had a very... A very extended, uh, chat for the Patreon supporters. Uh, how'd you feel about that episode? Uh. Yeah, really, really good. Um,
1: yeah, we haven't, that's like one of the longer ones we've done in a while, I think.
0: Yeah, it clocked in around 50 minutes. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. That was a good one. That was a good one. And it's fitting too, because we haven't had an episode in a while. So I kind of feel like that's, that's a good, a good way to break back into it. Um. Yeah, yeah. And I will say as a teaser for you guys, by the way, the B-roll episodes, those go out to all of the Patreon supporters. Uh, Patreon has different tiers that we have on there. So if you want that, you can pledge either $1 or up to $10, uh, but you'll get access to that and early access to content. But also... If you want additional content, $2 is kind of the sweet spot. You get a lot of TV and book reviews, movie reactions on that one, I think. Um, A bunch of stuff. And then $5 gets you commentary tracks in addition to everything else below that um, and movie reviews and stuff like that. But anyway, um, I will say as a teaser for that Patreon uh, B-roll episode, there was something that I told Tiny I shared an anecdote from our junior high days, 1999 to 2000, in which I shared something that I've never shared before. And it shocked Tiny to the point that he was almost speechless. Um, like the look on your face was amazing. It was, it was hilarious. Um, yeah. Truly.
1: I mean, it's almost like the pinnacle of awkward Matt, who is like his own character. <laughs> yes
0: yeah yes yes yeah sadly <laughs> but sadly that wasn't the pinnacle tiny <laughs> i have plenty of stories <laughs> we'll let the listeners be the judge of that yes yes so again that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um there's just a lot of fun goofy stuff on there um and some good you know uh criticism like film criticism and uh just more of the stuff that we do here that we really love doing that we've almost been doing for 10 years uh now we have like a couple of months before we hit the 10 year mark tiny how do you feel about that
1: geez that's crazy to think about yeah i i can't even process that at the moment
0: Mm -hmm. same here like yeah 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 it's wild it's wild um, but yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. Today we're gonna be doing uh, an extended potpourri. So if this is happens to be your first time listening, or if you haven't listened in a while, ordinarily the episodes kind of take the structure of at least more recently in the last couple of years, it's taken the structure of us reviewing a new release movie paired with a new release that's more available on streaming. So usually we'll try to do like a theatrical release movie as the main one, and then a uh a streaming service movie that's easily accessible as the kind of, um, I don't know the, the secondary review. Um, but sometimes occasionally when we have more time, we do a potpourri section where we just go round Robin and share something briefly that we've watched or we're looking forward to. Um, 10 years ago, it was, it was, you know, christened as the, as the, uh, ongoing, um segment for the podcast it's whatever we want as long as it smells good it's the potpourri section so occasionally we like to do a full full run um episode that's just extended potpourri so we don't have a focal review we're just going to share some anecdotes and and reviews of, of movies and shows we've watched uh tiny did i adequately give the audience the rundown of what we're doing yeah i think you're good 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 um so yeah so um before we do that is there any news or anything i feel like there was something like oh the flash trailer came out today but i don't know if you saw it or not um i haven't watched it no yeah Uh, do you how interested are you in that movie and how much do you how much are you aware of it in terms of like your expectations for it and what is what is in it because i don't know if you've seen the first trailer or not this is the final trailer I, that came out.
1: Right. I have little to no expectations. I okay. it's not that I'm not interested in it. It's mm-hmm. just that um DC tends to treat all of their stuff like an afterthought, so that's mm-hmm. kind of how I'm approaching it too. Like yeah. when it comes out, I'm going to be like, "Oh yeah, there's a new Flash movie." And like or like, "Oh yeah, there's a new Superman movie or a new Batman movie." Like I just I I I just take it as it comes, basically. I don't mm-hmm. I don't seek out information about it. I don't uh, anticipate any of it. I just let it come out, and then I'll watch it. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it gets completely redone and released on HBO Max in four parts. <laughs> yeah. Or in a f- whatever, however the hell they did the day. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember. The Snyder Cut. Was, the Snyder Cut was yeah. six hours long or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um, I will be... And, I will say i enjoyed the snyder cut but but yeah me too yeah but i i agree with you
1: yeah so it's yeah i just kind of take it as it comes and like Mm -hmm. i'm sure it's gonna be something like Mm -hmm. i i you know i like i've seen some of the like snippets of the trailer and i'm like oh shit okay Mm -hmm. like this is cool but like and then there's the whole controversy of um, ezra miller ezra miller being fucking nuts and doing crazy shit and then Mm -hmm. like I'm a little surprised it's coming out because yeah, well, he's so tainted, mm-hmm. I don't know it's, I
0: yeah, it's really interesting too, because it's being positioned as a big like crossover thing because I don't like spoilers for the trailer and everything, but and for everything about it, basically, but uh Michael Keaton is reprising his role as Bruce Wayne. Um, Right, and the whole big selling point is that it's, it's kind of that multiverse sort of thing where like, I'm very interested in that, but it's marred by both, um, Ezra Miller's just complete insanity. Oh, I just realized that we had something else that we should talk about, um, in the entertainment world in terms of comic book movies and, uh, people that are, uh, in hot water. But, um... But with Ezra Miller and everything, like that's that's all something there too. That's that's all something that's that mars the experience as well. But also the fact that I mean DC just has not known what they're doing. Like in terms of like Warner Brothers hasn't know doesn't know what they're doing with the DC properties. So now now there's all of this talk about how now James Gunn and his writing partner, I don't remember who it is. They are just doing everything themselves. Like they are finally now like 10 years into, into the whole shared universe thing. They're coming, they're starting clean. They're doing a whole new thing. And that just means that like, like Black Adam, which was pretty much garbage and dead on arrival anyway. And Shazam too, like they're kind of meaningless. Like it just doesn't it doesn't matter none of it matters and everything and then you have the flash which is going to be this big tent pole thing and it's about like worlds colliding is the tagline and everything and that's all well and good but it's also like at the end of the day you have a problematic star at the center of it and you have a studio that is starting from scratch anyway like i don't know how how to get too excited about it having said that the new trailer that dropped today looks pretty fun and it looks it looks pretty enjoyable but uh we'll see how it goes yeah
1: yeah it's that's kind of the formula with dc it's just like mm-hmm. wait and see it could be good
0: yep could yep. be
1: could be crap we could get another black adam i don't yeah. know yeah
0: i will say though i and even though this isn't obviously this isn't connected to the dc eu or anything but i'm still a staunch defender of the batman from last year um yeah Me too. i i thought that was fantastic so yeah yeah, me yeah. too um but the other piece of news that came out that we haven't talked about on the podcast because it's been like a month since i posted an episode uh jonathan majors tiny um yeah i've yeah. kind of passingly followed what's going on with him okay so let me give you the rundown of this so jonathan majors is currently a hot commodity in hollywood he uh, he was in obvious, like he is, he's King the Conqueror in, in the Marvel cinematic universe. Um, he was introduced proper in that role in, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, just like a couple of months ago. Uh, previously he appeared in Loki, uh, uh, on Disney plus, but also like he's riding the high of being in Creed three, uh, devotion, and in a bunch of other stuff like he's he's having like a moment but then he was arrested um he was taken into custody um i'm i'm not reading off of this or anything this is just stuff that i've gathered but he was taken into custody in sometime in mid march i think um after an altercation with his girlfriend um in which there was reports that he potentially strangled her a little bit um and it's been a weird evolution of all of this, like the like everything that's happened around that has been just really weird to me. Like his, his team, like his, um, at the time, his like, I don't know if it was his publicist or his lawyer, but they said, I think it was, I don't know, his team or whatever issued a statement saying like, Hey, you know, we are like, we're confident that this is all going to be, be cleared up. Um, it's provable that he is not only not at fault for this, but he was in fact the victim of this altercation. We can't wait to clear this up and everything. So it's like, okay, those are, those are some pretty big words, um, for this. Um, and then here's the thing though. Are you aware of the text messages, Tiny? Yeah I, yeah, I saw him, and wasn't his girlfriend
1: basically like apologizing to him and saying like it's her fault or yeah she was misquoted or it it sort of seems like she's I don't know it, it's pure speculation, but it's it's almost like she's uh what, how do I want to say it like she's sort of being manipulated by him yes like he he has her convinced that like i don't know like i i guess it's maybe i i'm hesitant to say it because i don't know mm-hmm. it, it seems fishy it's it seems like like she's only backtracking because she, he has this hold on her and has her brainwashed basically yeah it's, it sort of seems like like it's like the her explanations are like text messages are like uh, uh, um, only coming about because he has her like brainwashed and manipulated but yeah like that's speculation obviously like I don't know but that's just kind of how it reads
0: yeah it does not paint him in a good light and it is it is baffling to me how like apparently these text messages were released by his attorney and I think that I think that I read that Um, it was released by his, like, I think his attorneys are a husband and wife team. And I think the Mm -hmm. husband released them to TMZ. Um, but basically I'm not going to read them and everything. I'll put a link in the show notes if I remember, but, um, basically it makes it sound like, Hey, uh, I'm so sorry that they arrested you. They, they shouldn't have, I explained to them that it was all my fault for grabbing your phone and, Like, I'm, I'm so sorry that's, like, it's very, like you said, it's kind of playing out from a very, at best case scenario, an extremely toxic kind of relationship dynamic. Um, and it's just baffling to me that they would think like, oh, this clears his name. He's he's fine. It's like, right. Doesn't.
1: The, the content of the text messages like appears to be like exculpatory, like, Mm -hmm clearing clearing him in a way but the tone of it totally does not read that way not like at it's all right yeah. and it's like this could end up actually hurting more than it helps
0: um, yeah and yeah. it has because um oh, okay. after that um oh wow i just saw like a page six headline that says jonathan majors hollywood friends turn cold keep their distance um Uh, let's see situation. Anyway, there was like reports that more people have come forward and there's like, like the DA is like building a case, I guess, or something. Um, but kind of a big, yeah, more alleged abuse victims, uh, cooperate, cooperate with the DA's office. Um, so I don't know what all that's, what's all to come from that. But the big thing was that um his publicists and managers I think uh dropped him. Uh April mm. 17th, Jonathan uh, Jonathan Majors and manager Entertainment uh 360 part ways. Um which that is like a death knell. Like that's I I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> like when yeah, that's 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 not good uh for him um yeah so yeah but yeah so that's all kind of interesting and it's curious to see how yeah. that will affect uh the MCU and uh hopefully the truth comes out and hopefully justice however needs to be served i don't know it's yeah
1: yeah <sighs> he's he's a good actor but yeah. that's not really what this is about
0: right right Yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm like, I'm a huge fan of his, his work and everything, but yeah. Uh, but I'm not like, like if he gets replaced as Kang, I don't care. Um, if it's because of like, if it comes to light that this is like, tr- like truly his behavior, then yeah, fuck him. I don't care. <laughs> He's not like, I don't, I'm fine with him being, you know, cut out of, the entertainment industry because that's not cool. Right. Right. Um, right. But yeah, but anyway, uh, that's the bummer of every, <laughs> the bummer news of, yeah. of the episode. Um, yeah. Oh, I do have another anecdote that I kind of want to share that is related to this. Um, well, sort of related to this. I posted on Facebook about, um, Reading uh, Matthew Perry's memoir. Um, yeah, I saw yeah. that. Did yeah, it's it's weird, man. <laughs> like, uh, did you read the post? Um, yeah, I remember. Okay. Yeah, I read what you said. Yeah, it's it, it's weird because, like, as someone who was like, I, I was a big fan of Friends. Like, that was probably my favorite sitcom. Like, as a teenager, um, I watched it all the time. Um, I loved it. It hasn't, it doesn't hold up now with the era of prestige television and everything. Like it's hard to kind of go back and, and watch like dated stuff like that. But, um, but it's still, it's still, it's fine. But anyway, I read the, uh, memoir that Matthew Perry wrote and it's, it's, I, on Goodreads, I rated it one star. <laughs> um, wow. yeah, it was It was weird. Like it was very, very, um, so like I had talked about in my Goodreads review and on Facebook, I had said that it's, it's really, um, uh, I don't want to say problematic, but it's like the tone that he has throughout it just makes him come across like a total ass. And it's, it's weird how little like self-awareness he has, um, as to like how he sounds, um, <laughs> and how it, uh, makes him look and everything. Um, it's, 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 it's weird. I don't know. I'm trying to find, um, the screenshot of my review. Um, but I can't find it. But anyway, uh, cause Goodreads is weird. Um, I should probably just go to Goodreads, but, um, yeah. Did you have any interest in reading this, uh, memoir tiny?
1: Uh, I had a little bit because I I remember the news coming out where he you know talks about Keanu Reeves. And yeah, I was like, dude, you can't you can't talk shit about Keanu Reeves, man. Like he's been he's been like adopted as like America's sweetheart kind of. Yeah, like, like they kind of kicked Taylor Swift to the curb, and now it's Keanu Reeves, man. Right, you can't really, you can't do that, Chief. And yeah, um, I didn't really care. Like I, yeah. I mean. Like, obviously, when I read it, I was like, oh, that's kind of a shitty thing to say. But, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, that's the only, I, I was sort of curious if there was going to be mm. other shit that came out, uh, from the memoir like that. Um, yeah. and I, you know, I've always felt like Matthew Perry's probably a dick, <laughs> like, probably an asshole. Just, mm-hmm. I don't know. He just kind of seems like it. Um, and he's, you know, um, I, I don't know. He just, I kind of get that feeling mm-hmm. from him. I think he's a great act like Chandler's yeah. fucking amazing. And like his other roles and mm. uh, like the whole nine yards and stuff. He's, he's great. Like he's super funny. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like off the camera, like I've seen him in a couple of interviews. He just seems like a dick and I yeah. don't know. And I mean, it's horrible that, you know, he's, he has, uh, serious addiction issues. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't, wish that on him by any means right um and i know he suffered through that for years and that's not right i don't i don't like that for him but um and i'm sure he has a lot to share regarding Mm. that and overcoming that and everything but um i don't know i just feel like he's probably a dick and i don't know that (laughs) i uh wanna wanna follow his story uh because of that i guess i i I yeah.
0: honestly, it would be a waste of time. Honestly, okay. like it's it's so here's kind of the bullet points. So I'll just I'll, I'm not going to read the Goodreads review, but um, the bullet points of it that I had problems with as a big fan of friends. First of all, he doesn't really talk that much about friends, which is fine. Um, what he does make a habit of doing throughout it. And this is in the grand scheme of things. This is something that. This isn't the worst offense that he did, but it is like egregious and kind of gross. But like every like a good portion of the book is him talking about how attracted he is to the various women that he has encountered in his life in Hollywood. And to the point that he is it's not like it's not like he's sharing like anecdotes about sexual conquests or anything. There's some of that, but it's basically like every, just about uh, like, I would, I would say maybe 98% of every woman that is referenced in this book is referenced on a scale of how attractive he finds them and how much he wants to sleep with them. And it's just really off putting, but maybe the most egregious of that, that I, that I think, um, and, and maybe this isn't the most egregious aspect of it, but just given the fact that, um, given, given the fact that I know that, you know, he worked with this person for 10 years on a sitcom, um, the extent, almost the extent, basically the extent, um, that he talks about Jennifer Aniston in the book is basically, Yeah, we got, uh, we both, I was the last one to be cast for Friends. I had met her um, before on another project or something. And then he just goes into like, she was the most, like she was the hottest person. And I, I, the biggest struggle for me in 1994 was trying to figure out how, like, it was immediately clear that she was not interested in me at all. So I needed to gauge how much time I could spend staring at her without it being weird and like he's just objectifying this woman who is like and maybe this is why it's kind of jarring to me but it's like this is someone that you worked with for a decade on a sitcom on the one of the biggest sitcoms of of in television's history um and that's the extent that you have to say about this person like That is that is all that you have to say about this person that you worked with daily for 10 years. And there's some other stuff sprinkled in about how like the cast at a couple of points had like approached him about his about his substance abuse problems and everything. But like for him to boil down so many women in his life to whether or not he would fuck them is really, really just weird and And really dickish to me, and it's just juvenile, yeah, very juvenile, very, very juvenile yeah. um yeah but but even uh, probably equally troublesome for me is that and granted, this is something like this it is a very, very messy topic, the substance abuse recovery, all of that like that i I truly sympathize with him, i and I appreciate that he is that he is open about it in the book. but it's there is such a weird, noticeable trend in the book where basically anytime he talks about his um addiction and any anytime he talks about a relapse, and there are several because he spans the course of probably like a couple of decades, basically um and there are several times where he relapsed almost every time i think of those times which there are maybe half a dozen um maybe more there is one time where he says like i made a mistake and this is my fault almost every single other one is well you know she had a vicodin pill in her in her jacket that i found when we were arguing and like the implication is that that's why i relapsed relapsed that time And it even Mm. begins with him saying that, like, when I was a baby, I was a colicky baby. And the doctor that my parents took me took me to prescribed a drug to get me to calm down. And like the implication is that's why I'm an addict. And I'm like, I sure. But isn't like one of the steps taking responsibility for your actions like what right. it, it was so weird. It was so weird. And like the fact that this book is about to is, is supposed to be about self-actualization and recovery and the hardships of that, which he details and everything, the fact that he's not taking responsibility for it or he isn't actually self actualizing and everything, like if if that's an issue like if if that's something that he's not capable of doing, fine, but like he's Who's going to read this who has those same issues and think that like, oh, okay, well, he's not, he's like, he has this, this demeanor about it. What, like, maybe I'm, maybe the whole system's wrong. I don't know. It's really, it's really off-putting. Um, Damn. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a shame. It sounds, it sounds very juvenile. It sounds Mm -hmm. like, based on what you told me, it sounds like he, uh... It's almost like the perspective of like a twenty-two-year-old kid, absolutely, like who's, who's telling this. It doesn't know how to process it and is mm-hmm. just juvenile, frankly. Yeah.
0: Oh, one hundred percent. And yeah, I was just—I was really disappointed um, in the book. It's—it—it it was not. It was—it was a—it was, uh, was not good. Yeah.
1: That's a shame. Yeah, and I know yeah. another good thing is he's—he's he's been an advocate of. Mm-hmm certain forms of treatment and yeah. stuff like that like uh i i i can't speak to again not an expert i can't speak mm-hmm. to the details but research has evolved greatly mm-hmm. about addiction and how it works and he, he was involved in how treatment has evolved he, yeah. he was involved in how treatment has evolved for addiction and he got better from it and how you know addiction is more of a disease mm-hmm. than a weakness or whatever and that's changed the psychology of how they treat uh addiction now and that i'm sure i'm grossly uh under it by my <laughs> description there but i i just know in the past he's become an advocate of that and that's helps people and like that's a good thing but um and i respect him for that but yeah if he it's it's strange that that's that's the kind of approach he took with his memoir about his addiction and his life in Hollywood is that he talked about stuff like that that's just yeah really a shame and i'm I'm a little surprised yeah. frankly like Me I too. I figured he'd be he'd be a little more prescient and a little mm-hmm. more uh um humble i guess yes.
0: you know? yeah, and it's something that um it it's just it's it's really it, like there are moments in the book where he talks about like Alcoholics Anonymous and like when he is like in recovery, like he, he really appreciates the steps and and he appreciates the, the organization of Alcoholics Anonymous. He even sponsored people and uh, helped people. Like there's a whole passage where he talks about like maybe the reason that I'm here, the reason why I'm not dead from my, from my addiction is because I'm supposed to help other people. And like, That's great. I love that. And I, it's, it's really bizarre that that is just barely touched on. Like he just, he briefly talks about that. And then there's nothing, it's more, it's back to, you know, having a friends with benefits deal for six years with someone who uh, is a celebrity that he doesn't name, but I looked it up later. Um, but and like, and then having kind of a little bit of a grudge against her because he, she wouldn't go see his play and stuff like it, it weird, like acts to grind against people. Like he pauses at one point toward the end. Cause like he, he was eating, um, he was eating something and like he describes it as all of his teeth just fell out. just, They were done, like gone. And he went to the dentist to get, you know, that fixed and everything. And he said like, oh, it's excruciating. It was excruciating pain and everything. And then he stops and is like to the dentist and everything. Fuck you. Fuck your family. I don't think he says fuck your family, but like fuck everything about like you were the worst person. I'm like, this is a, this is is a book about your life, man. Like why, like what, (laughs) what are you doing? Um, wow. yeah, so it was, it was really weird. Um, huh. also the structure of it was maddening. Like yeah. I, I mentioned that it needed to be edited severely because it's not like a traditional memoir where it's going from like chronological order. Like, okay, I was a colicky baby and a doctor gave, gave me medicine. So now, uh, that made me an addict. I'm not responsible for it um, to like, oh, this is me now. Everything in between there is jumping around to like, yeah, I, I was a struggling actor. I, you know, I really wanted the role of Chandler. And then like the next passage is like, so I was on the phone with, with Adam McKay and, uh, he was, he was working on, um, don't look up. And I, I was supposed to have a role in that, but that fell through. And then, and then it's like, oh, and then, you know, season five of friends was, and I'm like, what? where like put it in a a good timeline like like make it make it make sense um so yeah damn yeah so that's my rant about Matthew Perry's book I don't recommend it at all um I do recommend reading the expanse series and following along on Patreon to my read along reviews <laughs> um yeah but anyway yeah that's uh, a shame yeah it really is it really is um yeah yeah, and also the counter reef stuff is really weird in that too. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, should we go into our extended potpourri, Tiny? <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah. Um. Do you want to get us kicked off again? This is extended potpourri. We're just going to be sharing things that we've watched, kind of going back and forth, and uh, and sharing our thoughts on things we watched. Um. Yeah. So, Tiny, yes. do you want to get us kicked off?
1: Yeah. Um. The first one. Th- These will all be pretty. Pretty brief. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about that I watched recently, um, a lot of documentaries pop up on my Netflix. hmm And uh, the one that popped up recently that I had, it's an event I had sort of, I don't want to say forgotten about, but had kind of always meant to come back to. Um, uh, the documentary is called American Manhunt, the Boston Marathon Bombing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is obviously a uh, limited series about the Boston Marathon bombing from uh, 2013. Um, and it was a well-done documentary. Uh, they had all of the major characters from that event were involved, um, like the special agent in charge, the police commissioner, um, officers who were actually pulling triggers at these guys i mean it's they got every yeah they got everybody uh everybody who was involved in this was was uh was in the documentary so um it was well done i I liked the documentary but it was uh more of a reaction to that event i had kind of i remember when that was going on um that was when twitter was kind of maybe peaking or kind of um becoming super relevant And uh, I I just remember following a lot of that live on Twitter. Mm -hmm. People were sharing stuff about it and um, people in Watertown um, where the, uh, you know, the Jokar Sarnayev kid like went missing or was like, like fled and they were searching for him in Watertown. And there were people who lived there who were like, you know, it's like a war zone right now. We're all locked in our homes and there's uh you know police police marching around like soldiers like i just remember my reaction to that at the time was like this is this is nuts like i mean this is martial law and mm-hmm. on the streets of the unit on the streets of of uh an american city that's just really disturbing and um it's it, it's interesting to think of it in the the context of modern terrorism you know like um we always think about nine eleven and the impact of nine eleven. It changed the world, the whole world, and everything. But it's it's interesting to look at this in the context of the you know the post terrorism world after nine eleven. Like this was this was a disturbing response to terrorism where mm-hmm. people people's rights were put on hold. You know, people were told to stay in their homes and uh, yeah. police just showed up to their house and went into their house without warrants with no uh you know no regard for their their rights no search warrants I mean it was just and and I don't I don't want to say everybody was fine with it but there there were no repercussions for that at all
0: Oh and wow
1: I don't know that there should have been frankly mm-hmm. like I don't I don't know that I I think that was the right thing to do right like and and that's that's terrible I don't feel right saying that but the alternative was, you know, if he had been hiding in someone's home and they hadn't done that, you know, it's like it's like a, it's, it's a lot of what ifs, you know, yeah. and it's, it's 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 a difficult thing to uh, analyze in, in that regard. And, you know, I'm sure there are people who would argue that it was it was it was tyranny. It was uh, an over overreach by the government. Mm-hmm. And they're probably right. I, I I can't say that they were wrong, but it was just really interesting to see it explored in this documentary. Because I remember feeling that like it was like a I think it was like a Friday night when they ended up catching catching the kid. Finally, he was hiding in the boat in Watertown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember seeing like I think I may have tweeted something like this is going to be interesting to see all the legality of this play out and how like how this kid gets sentenced and. Um, yeah. If any of these cops get arrested, like what's going to happen? Like, if is the mm-hmm. police commissioner going to get fired? Is the damn governor of Massachusetts going to be kicked out of office for inst- installing martial law? Like, I, I just remember thinking, like, this is going to be seeing this all play out in court over the next couple of years is going to be really interesting. And I, I feel like it never really went anywhere, it never really got interesting. Right. Um, you know, um, yeah, but. Uh, it, it was just, I I was fascinated by the documentary. There was a ton of footage that exists that I didn't even know existed. Um, there was a point where the two brothers were in a shootout with the cops in, in Watertown and they were like throwing pipe bombs at the cops.
0: Oh, yeah, um,
1: and like, I, I sort of remember that happening, but I had no idea there was footage of that. Mm. Like it was, just, it was just kind of amazing to see all of the, uh, all the footage and the photos and, and, um, they actually show like the security footage of the second bomb going off. Like you actually oh, wow. see, because it basically happened right in front of a security camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, man, I'm kind of surprised they're actually showing that, you know? yeah. Um, but not that it was distasteful necessarily, but um, like I think a child died as a result mm-hmm. of that bomb going off, you know? Um, anyways, uh, I, again, I don't, I don't have a lot to say about like the, you know, the, artistry of the documentary or anything Mm. it was more of a just my reaction to that event and how i had kind of almost forgotten about it or it's you know it's something that it it kind of got resolved Mm. the best way it could like you know it was this crazy manhunt and like i think a lot of people made a lot of mistakes and um that you know but it's it, it was just it was really interesting to kind of revisit it i guess
0: nice did you ever see the movie uh patriots day
1: yeah i ended actually after i and, finished this i ended up watching that again the oh, yeah. movie um yeah it's a, it's a solid movie mm-hmm. um yeah it wasn't bad. I, I like it yeah, yeah i like peterberg um he's he's a little hokey sometimes yeah but, he's uh, a little
0: hit or miss sometimes but yeah. yeah um so it's american manhunt it's on netflix uh, the boston marathon bombing is it any relation to that Manhunt series that they did, like Manhunt Unabomber, Manhunt something else? I, I don't think so. Okay. Because I was trying to look and I is. don't think it's connected. But I remember you being a big fan no. of that series or that at least the Unabomber one, I think, right?
1: Yeah, the Unabomber one was really good.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, I may have to check it out. It's a docu-series on Netflix, right?
1: Yeah, it's just three episodes. Three
0: episodes. Okay. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll check it out. Um, yep. yeah, that brings it to me. It's my turn. Oh my God, I yeah. forgot. Um,
1: <laughs> so
0: I do want to say, I forgot to mention this, um, up top, but I, uh, currently, as of this recording, um, Indie Film Fest is going on, um, here in Indianapolis and virtually. Um, so they had their closing night stuff on, um, This past weekend and then this upcoming weekend, I think they're going to do the best of the fest thing uh, in person at the Can Can Theater. Um, But running from now, like currently until April 30th, they're doing virtual uh, stuff. So you can go on IndieFilmFest.org um, and watch stuff virtually. Um, I have been very fortunate as, uh, to be able to provide coverage of IndieFilmFest for Nuvo.net. Um, if you guys remember last year in October, I did uh, some reviews for Nuvo um, regarding uh, Heartland Film Festival, and I'm back at it with Indie Film Fest reviews. So I kind of want to uh, give a rundown of four of the movies that I've watched and one short film actually that I, I'm, I'm not, uh, providing a review for, but I watched it today. I'll go ahead and talk about that first. Um, a short film it's on the, um, Oh, I can't remember what block of what shorts block that was. I think it was, um, yeah, the shorts block is not your average story. Um, it's basically a collection of a bunch of different, uh, short films. Um, and one of them that I watched was a short film called June bug. Um, let me pull it up real quick and see if I can get a plot summary. It's very, it's very interesting, very peculiar. Um, and I, I was really into it. Um, uh, so the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, Junebug is a nature documentary obsessed loner learns to socialize after nearly killing a Junebug in his backyard. And it's written and directed by Vincent Dixon. Um, and yeah, this was a really interesting uh, short film. It's It has this like vibe to it or this energy to it that's about this kind of like it says, this kind of nature documentary obsessed loner, um, who doesn't really have like a social circle or anything. Um, he's, he's, he's very awkward. So like, um, it's only nine minutes, uh, uh, just short of 10 minutes long. Um, but in that 10 minutes, it's, it's a very interesting, just dive into this loner's kind of, um, life basically. And his, his attempt to, um, help this creature that he injured, um, and kind of nurse it back to health. It's, it's, it has these parallels to his own life. Um, and I think that the, the energy of it and the overall kind of metaphor of it, um, the kind of thing is that, you know, you need to socialize to live kind of thing. Um, it was really interesting and really, uh, well done. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's Junebug and it's, uh, on the virtual site for Indie Film Fest, running through April thirtieth, um, in the not your average story block, um, of short films, um, yeah. So that's that's the short film that I watched. Um, any comments on that tiny? Any interest in it? Um, I know it's kind of vague. sounds
1: sounds pretty sounds pretty fascinating. Did, yeah. Have you watched uh any other short films from?
0: No other short films, but I have watched four feature length films. Um, I can kind of run those down. I'll put links in the show notes to my full reviews that are running on Nouveau.net. Um, but let me just kind of run through them really quickly, kind of rapid fire. Um okay. so the first one I watched was this movie called Free Time, uh, which is about uh the plot summary is Drew quits his job, then quickly decides he wants it back. And, uh, uh, it's called free time written by, uh, or directed by Ryan Martin Brown. Um, this is a very interesting kind of quirky comedy film that is very dry in its, uh, in its comedy, but it is, it has this kind of, I don't want to necessarily say self-awareness, but it's very much poking fun at a certain type of 20 something individual, Um, and by that, I mean that this, this main character drew, he, he has this like energy to him that it's like, he doesn't have, he doesn't have strong, very strong convictions, but when he is put in a corner to where like the, the whole idea of him quitting his job springs up kind of out of nowhere when he is talking to uh, someone at work about an HR position, and realizes that he has no chance in hell of getting that hr position um and it's just kind of an innocuous conversation and then he's like oh, okay well uh, i i'm quit and from there he's just realizing like okay well now everything else is going to fall apart because i don't have money and there's a brief moment where he's like this is a this is this is just uh this is just something that's this is everything that's wrong with capitalism <laughs> and everything and it's just, it's this interesting satire of kind of that listless and directionless rather, um, 20 something persona who is indignant as a defense mechanism without having much substance behind that indignation. Um, and how that is kind of at war with rationalizing, you know, the need to have an income and you know, to provide like the, the things that you need out of life, like a home and food. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of a quirky, fun, uh, comedy. I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's very, very bizarre and, and interesting in a good way. So that's called free time. It's also virtual on, on Indie Film Fest. Um, you can get, uh, access to that, uh, through April 30th. Um, yeah. So, nice yeah and then uh i will talk about another um another narrative feature and then i'll give you your your turn and then i'll talk about the two documentaries that i uh watched um okay but probably my favorite thing that i've watched um of indie film fest this year is this uh relationship drama called in a good way um which is Uh, The plot summary courtesy of IMDb is Margot and David rekindle their once loving marriage uh, that fell apart, leaving them forced to live separate lives for years. Um, This is this intimate relationship drama uh, starring. It's basically it's basically a two hander between uh, the actors playing David and Margot. So David is played by Ryan Ballas and Margot is played by Audrey uh, Kovar. And they give this just intimate and interesting performance. Like the chemistry is off the charts and it, there are these moments sprinkled throughout it where it's, it's like the filmmakers know that they are heading toward like the traditional, like relationship drama uh, trappings and tropes, but then they pivot like immediately um, into something kind of different. So uh, for instance, there's a scene where David is talking to uh, his friend about, like, the struggles of rekindling of romance with Margot. And it's kind of, it is playing off of that very, very cliched um Kind of prerequisite scene in any relationship drama where it's like, hey, you know, the best friend character is like, yeah, you know, you need to, you need to, you know, settle down and you know, like, be the vessel for like what what the audience thinks for what they what the character needs to do uh, through the relationship drama. But what's interesting is that it juxtaposes that with Margot at home, uh, doing like a a cam session because she's like a cam girl, I think. Um, and it's just her getting this validation from them on, on the website. It's not, it's, and it's not like, it's not painting it in a way that is disparaging of sex work or anything like that, or cam work or anything like that. It's not judgmental of it, but the juxtaposition of that with the conversation that David has with his friend about the hardships of the relationship just kind of creates this, this, three-dimensional idea or this, uh, this hint that like, okay, that is something that maybe he isn't too cool with, or maybe that's something that could have been like an issue with them. I don't know. It, there's, there's a lot of depth to it that, um, I could completely have misread everything there, but it was a lot to, to kind of chew on. And I really appreciated the performances and everything. Um, yeah. So that's in a good way. Um, really good. Uh, probably my favorite, um of what I've watched uh this indie film fest but but yeah so yeah that's nice. in a good one yeah um again that's also uh available through April 30th um if you purchase a virtual ticket on indiefilmfest.org um all right and tiny your next extended Potpourri segment
1: yeah um so i just was kind of looking for a movie to watch. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, kind of stumbled upon on Amazon, uh, the movie 13 lives, which came out last year. And, uh, it is a, it is the telling of, uh, the rescuing of the, um, the boys soccer team from Thailand who got trapped in a cave. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the, the real life story. Um, and, this came out last year. It was actually directed by Ron Howard, which I did yeah. not know. Um I remember seeing a trailer for it and like there was a good cast and everything. I was like I'm going to have to check that out. Um I so it's funny cuz I didn't I feel I feel bad cuz I didn't quite finish the movie. I have like 20 <laughs> minutes left. Okay. It's it's surprisingly long. Mm-hmm. I was going to finish it on my lunch break today, but I had to leave and go um go do something, but I, I watched the bulk of the movie. Um it's really weird because it's it's well made. They filmed it on location. Like a lot of it's filmed in Thailand. Um the cast I believe I didn't look into every actor or anything, but I think the cast is mostly actual Thai actors. Um hmm. if not Thai, they're at least Southeast Asian could be Laotian or uh, Cambodian Vietnamese I'm not really sure but mm-hmm. um, a, at least there's that level of authenticity there um, and then the cast of uh, the the other characters the other actors are it's really great cast Vigo Mortensen and Colin mm-hmm. Farrell uh, Joel Edgerton um, three really good actors um, so it's got a lot working in its favor and you know Ron Howard uh directing it and and producing it and everything um it the movie is good I'm, I'm interested I, I was very interested in it it's again a lot of authenticity but it's it just has a very weird feel to it hmm. um I feel like there's no tone to the movie at all oh interesting. um it's it's so because Ron Howard I mean shit like <laughs> You know, uh, Apollo 13 is like a masterpiece. Yep. Um, And, you know, the tone that, that movie's all toned. It's so edge of your seat, nervous, nerve wracking, thrilling tone. You know, that's brilliant movie. And mm-hmm. it's like it's like absent from this movie. It's so weird. I can't I can't explain it. It's like the the characterization and the weight of this event is just not like all the facts are there and all of the all the pieces are there it's just there's something missing from this movie it's really weird um it it made it yeah it just made it difficult for me to connect to it um and and the characters just feel like again they're just kind of I don't want to say they're going through the motions I don't think that's fair like Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell especially are the, kind of the two main guys that have a lot of the meat to work with, but, um, and they do, a, they do a decent job. It just feels, it feels disconnected. There's just this weird disconnect that I can't quite put my finger on or can't quite categorize. Um, but they both did a fine job. Like they don't, they, they, it's not like they were bad or they were hamming it up or huh. be over the top or anything. I really just can't put my finger on what's missing from this movie, except that it just, it feels like it has no tone. Um, mm-hmm the second half is better. Like there's a lot more, uh, the stakes kind of get raised and, um, it gets better, but, um, uh, maybe the ending will be super good. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but what I have to say though, like I, I sort of remember when this happened, it was back in 2018. I, mm. I never, I don't know if I remember the conclusion of what happens, but, um, oh, yeah. um, I remember it being a big deal. Um, but I have to say, um, what they did, I'm not gonna spoil anything what they did in real life to save these boys is like one of the most ballsy, miraculous things I can imagine. Like oh, it's, wow. it's so incredible. Like I I'm, I'm blown away that these guys pulled this off and did this. And like I had the, had the idea and the notion to do it. Like it should not have worked. Like these, mm-hmm. all these boys should have, this soccer team should have all died. Like mm-hmm. they should all be dead right now. Like it's, it is miraculous that they're here and it's not even like a maybe this is what they were going for in the movie it's not even like a feel-good thing it's like a like they did this took this risk to save these boys and it, there was this undertone of like they're gonna try this and they're all just gonna die like mm-hmm. it's not it's not gonna work and all these kids are gonna die like it's that's like what it felt like wow. um but man, what what they did is just amazing like I, I I'm not gonna spoil it, but it's just mm-hmm. incredible what they what they were able to achieve. I mean, for those who don't know, these boys got trapped in a cave, and the cave flooded. Mm-hmm. There was like a bunch of rain that was not forecasted that they didn't know about The cave regularly floods, but it wasn't the rainy season, so they were okay. but then all of a sudden this giant storm comes through, and these boys get trapped and so it's you know part of the cave you're you're walking and hiking and then another part you have to dive underwater for you know you have to be in scuba gear and dive underwater um and it's so arduous that it's like it's like three miles into this cave but it takes like seven hours because you have to dive through this little tunnel that's two feet wide i mean um it's absolutely horrifying Mm -hmm. um i i will say that like i'm not a fan of caves i i get claustrophobic and yeah like one of my worst fears would be going into a cave and getting stuck in the cave Mm. and just starving to death or suffocating to death or being drowned in a flash flood. Like it's, it is so nerve wracking to me. Um, and that the movie captured that pretty well. Actually, that's one thing they actually, uh, uh, communicated pretty well in the movie. But, um, I, I do kind of recommend it. I, I sort of, I'd be curious to hear what other people think of this Mm. movie. Um, it's got let's see what rating does it have on It's got a 7.8 rating on IMDb hmm. which is pretty good. So yeah. maybe I'm sort of in the minority here. Maybe I'm just not <laughs> picking up on something here. I I don't know, but um I you you haven't seen
0: it, have you, Matt? I I haven't. It was in the big stack of um the stack of screeners that I got last year for award season. I it was one that I just didn't get around to. I think it was last year or the year before. Um mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't get around to it Uh, mostly because, like you said, it's, it's pretty long. It's like over two and a half hours. Yeah. Maybe closing the three. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, "Uh, I'll get to it maybe. Um, (laughs) But yeah, but I'm, I'm definitely curious to check it out. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You may, you might react to it differently than I did or
1: other people might. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just not picking up on something, Mm -hmm. but, um, uh national geographic made a actual documentary um yeah called, called the rescue which i'm mm-hmm. gonna it's on disney plus i'm gonna watch that because i'm very curious in the accuracy and mm-hmm. how they actually did all this and I know there's like real footage out there of of what they did, so um, nice. I'm gonna watch that next. So.
0: Yeah, and if if memory serves, I think they both came out like very close together. Thirteen Lives and and uh, the Rescue, and I think maybe oh. that caused a little bit of overshadowing. Um, <laughs> I I think I may be conflating something else, but um, okay, yeah. But that's interesting. That's a shame that the tone is kind of weird. Um, Ron Howard is kind of like you said he. I mean he's great when he's great like Apollo 13 right. um uh he did Rush was that the movie Rush yeah. very underrated very, very underrated good movie very yeah. good um but he's also kind of like a journeyman director he kind of doesn't really it, it's it, he doesn't have like a distinctive vibe I guess I don't know right um, right yeah, so so that's that's unfortunate, but yeah. 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 Uh, so that's 13 Lives. It's on Amazon Prime, and we'll get back to Tiny when he finishes it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the the other two uh, Indie Film Fest uh, films that I want to talk about are two documentaries that I watched and I reviewed, of course. They're on Nouveau.net. I'll put a link in the show notes and everything. Um, the first one I want to talk about is The Smell of Money, which is a documentary by Sean Bannon. It is, I believe, uh, produced by Kate Mara and, uh, and David Lowery, the filmmaker. Um, uh, so it's pretty interesting. But the plot summary, courtesy of Letterboxd, I have up here is: a century after her grandfather claimed his freedom from slavery, Elsie Herring and her rural new uh, rural North Carolina community fight the world's largest pork corporation for their freedom to enjoy fresh air, clean water, and a life without the stench of manure. And this was a this was a very beautifully well made documentary. Um just it, there's nothing there was nothing necessarily um striking about it in particular but just the entirety of it is just very well done well crafted documentary um but the basically the long and short of it is that this like hog farms um <laughs> that are near this rural north carolina community um they are in the practice of having hogs like in these pens and all of the hogs' waste their urine feces, everything goes through the grates down into into like the bottom of it and gets pulled into giant giant some uh like uh football field size lagoons uh that is just filth, just grotesque. And the practice that the hog farmers, uh, do is that they, to drain the lagoons, the cesspools is to just spray it on the crops. And that contaminates the air that just creates a very, very disgusting and, uh, dangerous living condition for the people in the area. Um, and it's, the 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 documentary really strikes a nerve because it is showcasing this community and the struggles the struggles of this woman Elsie who is fighting for decades to get just the right to get her air clean and to to not potentially shorten her life and and expose herself to respiratory illness and any other type of illness and what really kind of struck a nerve with me is that like the kind of the knee jerk response is like, well try to move, like try to just get out of there Uh, because it's an uphill battle. But the documentary does a great job of just explaining that like, yeah, like her like grandfather or great grandfather, like who, whoever in her family like built this house, this is her property. And like that, that's something that, just resonated with me that like, yeah, yeah, no, no, there's no reason why you should have to leave because these, like these people don't care or anything. So like, yeah, fight, fight the good fight, do it. Um, and it's a very, it's a very interesting documentary in the way that it, it shows the different members of the community and their just collective activism. Um, it is, a bleak documentary as well, because it is a very, very big uphill battle for these people to try to get any kind of traction on any kind of movement there. Um, But another thing that I really appreciated about the documentary is that it then also goes into, um, into the just bigger like issue of like the cross contamination, the contamination of like different, just uh, gross things that can rise up out of it. So like having not only hogs, but like having birds and everything, like in close quarters and everything, cross species contamination and everything. That's what causes global pandemics. That's what causes outbreaks of swine flu and, and like COVID-19. It's like, it's like, it paints such a clear picture. And I think in light of the COVID pandemic, like, yeah, that is absolutely true. Like this is egregious. This is something that needs to not be a thing. This needs to be regulated. Like it's just, it's yeah. But the images of, uh, of, of the lagoons is, is just disgusting. It's, it's really, it's kind of infuriating and it, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a well done documentary. I liked it.
1: Wow, that sounds amazing yeah um, is does the documentary at any point give a perspective from the pig farmers that's perspective at all
0: somewhat, and that's the thing that's okay. also pretty infuriating about it is that it doesn't like at one point they say like none of the none of the hog farmers agreed to be in the documentary, like none of them mm. did. They do have someone who was a hog farmer who is kind of like a um a uh rehabilitated hog farmer for lack of a better word he's someone who uh is like he's realizing the error of his ways and everything but the big ones in the area like they go into um how they kind of have a controlling stake in uh people of authority in that community um in so far as like i think the i think the owner of one of them or the big one is like the chief of police so there's a lot of obstacles there um so yeah so they don't they don't really give like a a big uh they don't they don't have the ability to give the uh the the pig farmers like a voice because they didn't want to be in it because clearly they're in the wrong <laughs> yeah um yeah it's 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 very interesting um yeah. that sounds
1: really fascinating
0: yeah yeah it's the smell of money and it is currently on indie film fest virtually through april thirtieth um and then the other documentary that i uh that I watched that i again also reviewed on nouveau dot net tiny I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, but it's called project Home and it is i will try to quickly find the plot summary uh project home 3d printing the future the plot summary is can 3d printed houses solve the global housing crisis tech entrepreneurs test the uh limits of this new construction method as families futures hang in the balance uh, it's directed by Laura w- uh, Waters Henson um it is very very interesting as someone who I am, of course, a big fan of science fiction. And as I've been reading The Expanse and other science fiction and everything, <laughs> I've been thinking about like, God, people like I want us to be in space. I want us to go to space. I want us to colonize space. I have this thought all the time. Um, but Project Home is about, like it says, 3D printing homes. And what they do is they have this massive massive 3d printer that's basically like a the same design as like a a home 3d printer scaled up to a massive scale and it pumps out this concrete that is on a design and everything on a rig that creates the framework of a house and it has cutouts for like windows and everything and of course they have to do like the wiring and all the every like all the other things but the purpose behind it or the idea behind it is that they can construct a structure that can be a home in like a fraction of the amount of time that it takes to construct a house. Um, and the idea is that this could, this could, and, and at a fraction of the cost um, and that the, the idea is that this could call, this could, if implemented and if the technology is, cause it's still in its infancy, if the technology can be grown, to be, you know, adapted and adaptable and everything. This could literally solve the housing crisis in the world. Um and it's so that's a big statement and everything. But what I found really engaging about the documentary is that it Kind of has these dual narratives going. So, uh, the documentary is focused on people from Habitat for Humanity who are using this technology to create a house for this single mother who works three jobs and works for Habitat for Humanity. And one of the big things they say at the top is that they're not, it's not, they're not giving away these houses. Like these people are buying these houses. Um, and it's just an affordable, affordable housing. Um, and that's, that's one of the big things that they, that they, uh, kind of highlight in the documentary. Um, but then elsewhere, they also have like a contract for a full community that they're building in Mexico in this town in Mexico. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but so, so we have basically the, the the micro version of it with the with the single mother and then we have the macro the kind of testing ground of like can this be sustainable in creating a whole community with this and what i found really interesting is that there's a lot of obstacles there there are a lot of struggles like a you guessed it a global pandemic um, <laughs> caused a big big uh rift in that but also elsewhere like the problems of getting the equipment to Mexico like clearing customs to do that and um and like in battling weather and training and and all of this stuff um it's really fascinating a couple of the things i found kind of there there was one like pretty um a big kind of shortcoming of the documentary for me was that throughout the documentary it does it 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 brings up how this technology of 3d printing houses which is just basically like it looks like a toothpaste to being squeezed out of like concrete squeezing out of it um And one of the big things is that there are people like online who second guess it or they think that like, yeah, this isn't this isn't really the affordable housing that that they're making it out to be. Um, This is this technology isn't sustainable and everything. And I feel like that because I'm like in I'm I'm in I'm interested in it. And when they bring that up, like they literally show clips from YouTube videos of people like claiming to debunk everything But the documentary doesn't spend a lot, if any, time addressing those claims that they're showing. And it's like, I wish that they would have done more because I wanted to be more invested in it because I'm already hooked on it. Um, And I was also thinking like, God, that would be amazing. Like just, you know, to colonize like the moon or something, just put, throw a 3D printer up there and just create, create buildings. Anyway, stupid. But um, Uh, that probably wouldn't even work. But anyway, um, yeah, it's called Project Home on Indie Film Fest virtually through April 30th. Um, really, really interesting. Um, I like any kind of, you know, fringe technology kind of thing, like out of the box thinking. And I like, I mean, if the technology isn't there now, if it's not something that's sustainable now. I think that it's very interesting as a possibility for the future and seeing like the future of it and everything and see how it can be implemented on a, on a large scale. So really interesting documentary project home. Uh, Tiny, what do you think about that?
1: That's really cool. I've, I've seen videos of those 3d printers and how they pump concrete and stuff. Um, That's, it's super fascinating. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, even if it's not, like you know, your average couple is in the market to buy a home or build a home. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's not, um, that viable or a popular option at the moment. But what mm-hmm. it could be popular for is like solving a homeless problem. Yeah. Right? Like if someone oh, yeah. just raise raise funds to house homeless people, you could build a whole building with units, uh, made made with one of these three D printers. Yeah. And you know, it'd be at the fraction, it'd be a fraction of the cost, and they would be durable. The homeless population could come and go, or, you know, you could add on to it as needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very modular. Like, that's super fascinating. And I, I, I'm interested in, I'm sure I'd love the documentary. I, I'm yeah. always interested in how things are built and stuff like that. I love to watch people build things. So I'm sure I'd be really interested in it. That sounds really cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts on it. Um, if you get around to seeing it at some point. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and again, all of those reviews are on nouveau.net. I'll put a link in the show notes for my nouveau reviews. Please go read them. I'm proud that, uh, proud and pleased that I was able to, uh, get, uh, that opportunity again. Um, tiny, your next thing. Do you want to do one more? Do you have yeah, any this? More? Is, okay. This is
1: my last one. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, also a documentary also on Netflix. Nice. Um, uh, this came out last year. It's called uh race Bubba Wallace. It's uh, the limited uh, miniseries on Netflix that followed uh, the NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace for his uh, first season with uh, the new race team uh, 2311 racing. Mm -hmm. Um, I had heard about this documentary. I never, I didn't watch it when it came out. Um, I, so I used to be a huge NASCAR fan. Mm -hmm. Um, this was back when NASCAR was at its peak. This was the early two thousands from, I want to say about 2000 to 2008 or nine. NASCAR was the fastest growing sport in the country. Um, it was hugely popular it was the peak of nascar which has been around since the 50s um uh and i was part of that i i became a big a big huge nascar fan i watched every race i loved uh, Dale Earnhardt jr was my favorite driver um i was really into it but the nascar fell off drastically mm. um it's uh they changed it a lot they changed the sport a lot of the uh, older drivers that i liked were retiring um so I I, j- I basically just slowly lost interest in it and became more of an indie car fan. Um, uh but I I recently got back into NASCAR. Ooh. Um and just kind of decided I didn't I but I didn't have a driver yet. I was like these are all new guys. The, everyone I I'm not familiar with any of these drivers. Um so I didn't have a I didn't have a driver yet and um I was very interested in Bubba Wallace mm-hmm. and so I watched this documentary and I kind of fell in love with the guy. I think he is uh, a super, super important figure in mm. sports right now. Um, and they address that in the documentary. You know, this is a sport. This is a league NASCAR that has deep roots in um, the South. It, it is an mm. inherently southern, uh, Southern sport. And it is dominated by white men. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the white men that were involved in this sport in the past were, were probably racist. Um The first black driver in NASCAR, they go into it, he won a race, but they didn't let him win the race. Uh They literally would not give him the trophy, uh, even though he finished first place. Wow. And the reason is because back in the day you would have like, they still do it. It's still, it's kind of a ceremonial thing in a lot of races. Uh, They do it for the Indy 500. There's Mm. the 500 princess. And traditionally the winner of the race goes and kisses that girl. Um, That doesn't happen anymore. But Mm. I mean, back in the day they used to do it at the Indy 500. Um, And of course, all of those princesses were white girls. And back Mm. in the fifties and sixties in the South, you couldn't have a black guy kissing a white girl. It was literally illegal. And so, Jesus, yeah. And you know, they, they go into that in the documentary and it's just insane that that used to be the norm. Um, but that's, I kind of got off track. Um, Mm. Bubba Wallace is super important because he has come into this, uh, come into this sport and he's been the most successful probably, black driver in nascar history and he's also doing it at a time when race relations are amped up in in the united states mm-hmm. and he got thrown right into the throes of it there was this whole controversy where there was a a, a noose in his garage
0: right. um,
1: someone hung, hung a noose in his, that was in the in the news for a while Um, and he, you know, but Wallace chose to speak up about black lives matter and Mm -hmm. he got involved in the George Floyd, um, uh, the whole George Floyd, uh, controversy and everything. Um, and I, at the end of the day, I also just love what a competitor he is. Um, the, the documentary explores how unique racing is, which is another thing that I love. I think, um, you know, you, you can look at a lot of other sports and they're, they're team sports and a lot of the time you are going up against one opponent mm-hmm. and it's, it, it does, it's not that those sports aren't difficult, but if you think about a race, it's like having all 32 NFL teams competing against each other all at the same time. You've got 30 to 40 race cars out there, which all represent a team who are all competing against each other. And only one of them gets to win. It's like, it's like the Super Bowl every Sunday. Wow. And it's super, super hard to win a race. It's really hard. And it's it is an endurance thing. You're out there for four hundred miles or five hundred miles and that can take four, five, six hours. Sometimes it's August and it's ninety degrees outside and that car can get up to hundred and forty degrees inside of it. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just it's just this documentary is so well explored. The difficulties of what it's like to be a race car driver and it's super wow. uber competitive there's the money in nascar is not what it used to be it's hard to get sponsors mm-hmm. it's hard to put a team together um and i i just i'm amazed that anyone wants to do it because yeah. it's so difficult and it there's the, the amount of pressure is insane. You could, another factor of racing is you could just die. You could just die. Oh yeah. Just going out and doing your job. And it happens. I Mm -hmm. mean, it it happens a lot less, Mm -hmm. uh, but it still happens. And there's that, there's that pressure. There's the pressure to win, to not let your team down. It's, it's just amazing. And, you know, I, I, I'm astounded at the way that Bubba Wallace navigated all of that pressure along with the pressure of being black in this sport mm-hmm. and race relations being as tricky as they were at the time and amidst all that he came out and he told NASCAR hey you should ban the confederate flag at races
0: mm, nice i
1: mean that the balls of the guy to yeah. say that and he he said like he it's not like he did a press release mm-hmm. he went on cnn and was interviewed, and he said it himself. He was like, That's NASCAR awesome. needs to... Man- I mean, the balls of the guy to do that.
0: And did they? And
1: Yeah, they did. Oh, nice. Um,
0: they Very did. Nice. Yeah, to,
1: to NASCAR's credit, they banned the Confederate flag. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and I I mean, I'm just... I'm really impressed with the guy. He talked about mental health and how mm. he struggled with his mental health, and he asked people to help him. Um, I, I'm just... I'm really amazed at his at his abilities as a person and as a driver and and i just i love how he takes on the pressure and um i i became a big Bubba wallace fan watching this watching this show and uh my enthusiasm for nascar is a lot higher than it was and i've i've gotten back into it i've been watching all the races and um unfortunately he's not having a good season (laughs) um he uh he was this sunday they were at talladega which he Mm. he's he's won at talladega in the past he's really good at the super speedways and uh he was kicking ass all day he was in the top 5 he led like 70 laps l- literally half a lap to go he get fuck he got fucking spun out oh, and finished 28 god i was so Ugh. freaking mad Jeez. i mean um but yeah the the documentary even if you're not into racing mm-hmm. i think people cuz honestly it's not there's not a ton of racing in it. A lot mm-hmm. of it's about his personal life and the controversy he dealt with. I think, nice. I think you'd be, you'd find it interesting, Matt. Um Nice. It's, it's, it's really cool. I, I, I really love the sport of racing and this documentary mm. really documents why it's such a fascinating sport.
0: That, that sounds very appealing to me because like, I and we've talked about it before and everything, but like, I mean, both of us growing up at Speedway, you're a big racist uh, race fan. Um, but no, like you're, you're a huge race fan and I get it. I totally get it. I, I appreciate the athleticism that is involved in the, like you said, the endurance, the, like the, the, like the, um, uh, the skill, the, the absolute skill that it takes, Um, is something that is so fascinating to me. So even if I'm not like a big fan of racing or I don't follow the sport or anything, I do have um, a lot of respect just, you know, from like osmosis, from (laughs) being near it all, like the majority of my life. Um, So maybe I will check that. That's um, uh, race, what is Race, semicolon, Bubba Wallace. (laughs) Okay, nice. And it's on Netflix...
1: It's on Netflix and it's only six nice. episodes. It's not, Sweet. it's not super long. Um, yeah. If you want to see a demonstration of the athleticism of auto racing last year in the, uh, the road course at Indianapolis motor speedway, NASCAR mm-hmm. um, one of the drivers uh, he has a funny name. Uh, he's a really good guy. His name is AJ All- Allmendinger. Um <laughs> He he's won that race a few times. He's really mm-hmm. good at road courses. Um, his, they wear a cooling suit that keeps them cool and uh oh. the, and there's a mechanical aspect to it and AJ Almendinger's suit failed.
0: Oh god like
1: er, early on in the race and it's it was in it's in August. Jesus. Uh it was like 85 degrees and it was like 120 degrees in the car and his suit failed. And there's I think there's video on YouTube of him at the end of that race. He I, he didn't finish real well but he mm. pulled in to the pits and uh he gets out and just collapses because he was like and like he had to have medical attention and i like he he's fine he was fine um but i mean like the video was kind of scary to watch Mm. like i felt really bad for the guy um yeah i mean it's just it's they these guys are athletes it's it's a crazy sport
0: yeah wow yeah nice well i'll have to check that out um, I think you'd like it. Yeah. Nice. And I will just round us out with, um, a, a quick kind of update on something that I think I've talked about before in passing, or actually I did a season review on Patreon of it, but, um, uh, for season one of how I met your father, um, which is on Hulu. It is the Hillary Duff produced and starring, um, series inspired by, um, how I met your mother, Um, I have been catching up with season two. They've had, they basically did, um, I think they did 10 episodes last year for season one and season two, they have 20 episodes, but they did 11 and then have a mid season break and then they're going to come back in May for the rest. Um, so I'm about eight episodes into those first 11 episodes and, you know, there is such a... There's such an interesting level of nostalgia that I have for that because, like, we were big How I Met Your Mother fans. I still contend that in its in its heyday, How I Met Your Mother is a an almost perfect meld of that romantic comedy archetype, like uh, genre comfort food that I feel, and sitcoms. So, like, it is it is this. Comfort food, ro- romantic comedy in sitcom form, uh, with some really interesting narrative devices thrown in uh, for a good run of the time. They fumbled it a lot. We don't need to relitigate all that, but it's. It, I still feel that there, the storytelling and there's there's a lot to really appreciate about How I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your Father is interesting from both my perspective, because I'm older now, I'm in my thirties. Um, it's a different, it's a different Matt that's watching the show. Um, and also from the fact that it's a different culture that we're in. And so like, there's no Barney character, there's no Barney Stinson, there's no womanizing character who is, has like a playbook for hooking up and, and has like all of this, all of this now problematic, I would say, um, uh, character traits and everything. Instead, the characters are they're they're pretty strong. The the gang is a pretty strong foundation um, for the story. Um, they all have their quirks and everything. They work together really well. It's the same kind of premise. You know, uh, people in New York City, they are a core group of friends navigating love and relationships and all that uh, and, and jobs and everything. It's standard sitcom fare. Um, one of the things that I feel like is, and by the way, it's on Hulu. Um, one of the, thing, one of the things I feel is maybe not quite there is I'm not nearly, I'm not really engaged at all with the central premise of like who the father is, <laughs> um, which is fine. I like, I don't need to be, um, but it's, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, to just not be interested in it. And maybe it's to to the show's credit that I'm just more invested in the inner workings of the group. Um, But the other thing that I don't particularly care for is um, Kim Cattrall plays the adult or the older version of, of Sophie played by Hilary Duff. And I just don't like that energy. Like... Bob Saget doing the narration in How I Met Your Mother was great because he has that paternal sort of like baked in paternal feel to him and resonance and everything. But Kim Cattrall is just like just it's it's a little too quirky and comedic and it just doesn't really feel like she's telling any important story. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I don't know, it's a mixed bag, but I am enjoying it. It's, it's pretty solid. Um, the cast is really good and some of the, some of the things that they, uh, some of the shenanigans they get into is a lot of fun. Um, and, in the ways that the show, um, calls back to references and incorporates things and people from the original series from How I Met Your Mother is, is a lot of fun a lot of fun the way it's sprinkled throughout so yeah I don't know have you watched any of it or have any interest in it
1: interesting um, no I haven't watched any of it I don't have any interest um, <laughs> in it I think it was a horrible idea um, <laughs> but I didn't know you were watching it that's mm-hmm. that's interesting is there are, I'm curious are there any ridiculous links to how I met your mother like is like is, like is Hillary Duff's character like Ted Bosby's cousin or something like that <laughs>
0: no the closest okay. thing and this is going to spoil the pilot episode um and this is something that i also found pretty interesting is that the core group they all kind of come together they meet in the first episode basically the first episode oh, okay. has this whole whole thing about sophie played by hillary duff she's on her way to uh to a tinder date at a bar she gets in an uber that's driven by jesse and his his uh his best friend is there with him writing along because he's going to propose to his girl. It's a whole thing. Um, a mix-up occurs, then the group all comes together and they become friends. Um, the end of the episode, something that I found really charming about the end of the episode is that up until the end of the episode, there's nothing really connecting it to uh, to How I Met Your Mother. In fact, the opening credits say, like, inspired by the series How I Met Your Mother by Craig uh, Craig. Bay, Carter Bay, Craig, the Craig Thomas and Carter Bay's, I think I don't know who cares. Yeah, that anyway. sounds right. Yeah, um, but the end of the episode has Jesse and oh my god, why can't I think of his roommate's name? Um, they they're like, oh, why don't we all get uh, you know, all get together in our apartment and have like a nightcap or something, um, and i'm gonna find sid sid okay jesse and sid um and they're like yeah you know um this is this uh great uh, great apartment we got a great deal on it you know some uh this old couple from the wesleyan uh message boards were uh were moving out and everything and it's the it's ted's apartment and like they live in ted's apartment so like that's really that's that's it's it's fun and like they throw in this ridiculous thing where they're like they even kept, they even left left their swords, and so the swords that are on the mantle are there, um so it's I'm fine good. with that yeah it's it's fine it's good it's it's a good way to honor the original series and show that they're doing their own thing um I will say that there are up until up to now there have been two characters from how I Metro no there' have been more than two characters, two main characters have shown up um it was a big thing in the finale for the first season. And then the second season has like, it does that thing where it's like the beginning of the season is like, Oh, you know, Sophie is in like a fender bender and then a certain person gets out of the car and Oh, you know, I think, I think I, I will say, I think the license plate says daddy um, <laughs> to give you an idea of who it is that's in the car. Um, gotcha. But, but yeah, so it does factor in, it does, it does, it pays homage and, and honors the original series in in unique ways, but it's not dependent on it. And and it's by no stretch dependent on uh, the uh, nostalgia of it. So I appreciate that they're doing their own thing. They're forging their own path and um, I'm enjoying it. It's not as good for me as Harry Met Your Mother, but I also admit that How I Met Your Mother just struck such a nerve with me for the time I was in my life and for just the state of media at that point, too. Like, it just hit that sweet spot for me. So there are a lot of contributing factors, but I appreciate what How I Met Your Father is doing. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is very late, Tiny. I'm so sorry for keeping you up. (laughs) It's Um, all right. Yeah, so I'm going to start playing us out here soon, but I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. Do you have anything else to say Tiny? Anything else we want to cover? Anything else we neglected to mention?
1: No, I'm good. Okay. Good episode.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I thought so too. Good job. Um we are going to be back hopefully soon with something. Um but in the meantime, uh check out all of our other stuff. Check out my reviews on Nuvo for Indie Film Fest. Check out the other podcast, Tower Junkies. We're finally doing the Dark Tower. Check that out, TowerJunkiesPod.com. Also, check out Anthology, my solo podcast. And of course, if you want more content, go support us on Patreon. Uh, all the money goes to paying the fees to, fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. There are tons and tons of content. There is tons and tons and tons of content on there. Um, like it is like it's like five hundred different things if you depending on the tier so anyway check that out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer uh new stuff is posted there very frequently um so yeah so check that out uh yeah next time i don't know what we're going to be doing on the show but uh we'll be back at some point uh tiny uh that'll do it (laughs) uh thank you guys so much for listening and uh we'll see you in the next episode And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon potpourri episodes, go to patreon.com obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Uh, in junior high, I was... A an immediate fan of a television program on Fox called Get Real. Uh, mm, wait, did you yeah. think I was going to say something else? I thought you were going to say uh, that TV show Drive. Yes, Drive. That Nathan too. And, yeah. yeah. oh man. Yeah. yeah, Drive was good. But anyway, Get Real was before that. Um, I yeah. was a charter member of the Get Real fan club on the I, I yeah. think IMDb message boards or something. I
1: remember I remember that because I yeah. did not watch that show and I only knew about it because of you. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it's, it I, I didn't save it. Um.
1: <laughs> this podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll
0: episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.